Welcome to the Music Business Podcast. Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends, tactics, and insights from some of the world's brightest minds in music. I'm Jordan Williams of EQT Management. And I'm Sam Heisel from Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. What's up, Sam? Yo. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. Sprinting. Sprinting, man. Out here Sprinting. grinding, man. There it that is. That Knox life. Hashtag Knox life. Knox NATO. <laughs> Knox NATO. Today we got a, a very special guest, man. We got Anim Wilder from Yesair. Um, for those who don't know, Yesair was a band that was active from 2005 pretty much until 2020. They disbanded in December 2019, I believe. Um, Yesair, two of the people, Chris and Anand, went to my school in Baltimore called the Park School of Baltimore. So, um, you know, coming up, they were they were legends. You know, there was a there was a program at my school called Gold Sounds where students uh, performed once a month. It was sort of like a talent show. And uh, everybody talked about them and Animal Collective as being the people that that were so impressive at those at those shows, you know. Um, so they were they were inspiration for a lot of people that wanted to work in the music industry. I remember while I was there, they they in, they did an interview in the Brownie, um, or not the Brownie Postscript, which was our which was our community newspaper. And everybody was like, "Oh damn, yay, Sarah! They did it! Oh shit, how they get yay, Sarah!" Um, so definitely glad to have him on here. They've they've done great things. They've toured the world several times. Um, critically acclaimed albums. Um, they covered an edition of Fader. So um, we really get into the beginnings of their career, um, including, you know, the process of how they found their manager, um, what it was like growing from that to, you know, getting a publicist, getting a booking agent, getting a lawyer, what it was like going from performing in New York at a venue called Lorelei downtown at, you know, 200 shows the following year, 2008, doing 200 shows. Um, so we get into this, you know, we get into longevity, how to keep that. Um, and there's a, there's a really long career here that we get to dissect and, you know, very glad you guys can hear it. Yeah, for sure. And I especially enjoy it too. I know we get a lot of people that work in the back end of music on the business side, managers, labels, et cetera, to be able to get his perspective as an artist about the creative process around the journey of evaluating managers and how to nurture the relationships with your band members and team. I think it's a really valuable perspective. So really excited to jump right into it. Yeah, let's do it. Yo, Anand, what's up, man? Thanks for coming out. It's good to be here. Yeah, man. It's great to have you. Um, I know it's kind of weird time your band just split up, but uh, it's 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 great to have you on, you know, despite... So well, this is my first press since the split. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice, nice. You heard it first on the Music Business Podcast, <laughs> exclusive access. Yeah, no, no, but legendary band, legendary band, and for legendary. those who don't know, Anand also went to the same school as me. So shout out Park School of Baltimore. That was for you, Palin. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, man, let's get right to it. So I mean, I mean, I guess I kind of know the story a little bit, but like, how did how did how did you guys come together? The band. Yeah. Uh, okay, so one of the guys, Chris, he went. He also went to Park, mm-hmm. and we were really good friends from fourth grade on. And so we performed at, in like high school, um, you know, like ba- band shit. What do they? They have still have Gold Sounds. Yeah, at I was park. gonna say that, Gold Sounds. Yeah, yeah that I kind of thing. Gold Sounds too. The, the like talent shows and stuff. Yeah, so we yeah. get to. So we had a history in high school of doing that, and then went our separate ways for college, and then came back together in New York. And started making music. 
Okay, cool. So how did the how did the third member come in the picture? And the third guy, his sister is married to my cousin. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And he was in a band in college when I went to, we went to the same college. He was in the he was in a band that was very popular in college. Okay. Well, where'd you go to college? To UPenn in Philly. Okay, cool, cool. And so he I knew he was really good at bass. And so I was like, let's just get this guy to play bass. <laughs> There we go. That's, and that was it. That's one way to do it. And then we had that, you know, we had a couple different drummers. We had a drummer for the whole first album tour that we um, very rudely fired at the end of the tour cycle. It happens, man. It happens. All and good things come to an off end. Off tempo. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your rhythm, bro? You about to get him in trouble. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, it's by me. <laughs> too many. Uh, too many symbols. Yeah. <laughs> Too many symbol crashes. Not enough cowbell. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's awesome, man. I mean, can you talk a little bit about how, how things progressed after you guys first started making music together and how it ended up kind of snowballing into what it truly became? Yeah, sure. So, okay, I was living... Basically, what happened was I was uh, just very lazy dude. <laughs> I was living with my parents after college. I didn't want to get a job or anything. I still don't want to get a job. I, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm back there now. Um, and um, But I was working on music. That was all that really inspired me. And I was writing songs. I was actually writing songs for this musical. Um, and Chris was living in New York. And he was like, yo, I'm, I'm going to do this show in a couple weeks. Why don't you join me? And so I had all these songs. So I came up and we did this show at this bar called Lorelei in the Lower East Side. And... It was, I felt like we were just the biggest band in the world after and this And how old were you at show. this point? 22. Okay, cool. 22. People just, wow, this is my favorite band. You know, you guys are my <laughs> new favorite band. And I was like, God, this is easy. <laughs> um, but even at that point in time, it was like a, a lot about these vocal harmonies and and kind of incorporating these like world music sounds. And, um, and so then I moved up to New York and then just, we were working as a, um, uh, I was working for Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live as like a truck driver and uh, doing these prop gigs and that kind of, you get all these other freelance jobs mm-hmm. um, and just every night working on music, you know. And uh, then eventually we would just keep, you know, when you live in New York, if you want to play shows, you can play shows. Right. That's kind of the beauty of New York. And um and, and many different venues, you know, you mm-hmm. could be in Brooklyn, you could be, and it just, you meet someone, oh, I want you to play this, you know, what venue, whatever. Um, but then eventually, it sounds crazy, but I was like, guys, we got to put some music up on MySpace. There it is. <laughs> and everybody was all like, no, we can't do that. You know, it's going to get, they're going to steal it. Steal people I gonna, don't know who to put in my top. <laughs> <laughs> people, yeah, yeah. people are going to steal our sound. I don't know. So eventually it was like, all right, we're going to put out these short clips of these songs, our brilliant songs. You know, we're going to put 30 second clips up, 45 second clips up. And I think that someone, I think a girl that I dated in Baltimore, I think she linked it to some guy who was in the music business who linked it to this other guy, Jason Foster. And he sent me a a message on MySpace was like, really did your stuff. (laughs) would love to meet up. And I was like, this has got to be a scam. Um, and then I, I wrote to Brian Waits from Animal Collective, who also went to yeah. Park. And I was like, is this guy for real? Monitor Records? And he was like, yeah, it's a real, 
it's a real label. You got to just just meet up with him, see what see how it goes. So he kind of booked this show. Jason booked this show in Baltimore. Um, and we played the show. And then we met up with him the next day. And he was like, so you guys want to make an album together? You know, wanna, we're like, yeah, sure. And he's like, well, do you want to tour? <laughs> we're like, yeah, of course. What do you mean? <laughs> do we want to tour? Of course, let's tour. <laughs> and then we just made a record with him. I think he probably spent like his savings on it. It was probably like 5,000 bucks or something. Something like that, you know. And and we did, yeah, I think we did like five days in a studio in Baltimore. And then we took it back home and just tinkered away, you know, adding overdubs for the next few months. And then spent some more money to mix it in like five days. And then put out an album like six months later, you know. It was like one of those <laughs> things where you're like, but it's mixed. We got to put it out right yeah. now. And like, no, yeah. let's take your time. You got to do like the single first and then play South by Southwest and then go on some tours with some other blogged about bands or whatever. Um, but then, you know, we put out this first album and it, and it, and it, at the time, it, you just feel like vindicated, like, yeah, I'm a genius and people, <laughs> and people are noticing, but it was, it was like, we got professionalized very quickly where it was just like, put out the album and then 2008 was just probably 200 days of touring, you know, 200 days, something like that. Yeah. And it Damn. just kept getting, yeah. Wow. Something like that. It was a lot of touring. What was the what were the first few things you learned as as just like a band with an album out and and touring and that whole thing like the beginning of the process? Um, I don't know. The first that's such a broad question. Um, I mean, you go from you go from you know making an album in in your it was in Baltimore, right? In studio in Baltimore. No, we were in Brooklyn. Are oh, you in Brooklyn? We were in Brooklyn. We we did some recording in a studio in Baltimore. With this guy Jay Robbins, who was in this band Jawbox. Cool, cool. Um, but that was only a few days. And the way that we work, it's like, you know, we could, we could record like as a band, but then that always sounded a little bit two dimensional. So we'd end up stripping away things and adding overdubs that to make things more kaleidoscopic, you know? Right. So we, and most of that's you're doing it at 5 a.m., you know, bouncing a vocal through a four track into like a reverb tank or whatever. Right. Um, so. Were you guys booking your own shows at first? You had an agent no, off we, the bat, or once we got um, once we got the manager, not, he wasn't a manager at the time. He was going to be putting out the record. Yeah, Jason Foster. Um, once we had him in place, then he could, he had connections to the booking agent, mm-hmm. um, and then that was we got set up on some tours. And those tours, I mean, they're brutal. Those first few tours, it's not like you're playing for tons of people. You're in Pittsburgh playing for five people. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's interesting because a lot of times we're interviewing, we, to be honest, don't have a lot of people uh, like artists on the show. It's oftentimes in the kind of the manager's label the side. side of, yeah. I'd be curious to hear, you mentioned your manager, what kind of to you were some of the keys to a successful manager, artist, band relationship? Or, and I mean, feel free to say things that were like tough that you had to work through as well. Well, so he wasn't really our manager at the time. He was our, he was the label. Mm-hmm. Right. So we were all kind of managing, mm-hmm, you know, right. and I felt like I was doing a lot of the business kind of side of things, mm-hmm. which is just like in Pittsburgh, you know, making sure that I get that twenty dollars <laughs> after you play. Put it in the <laughs> so small. Put it in the envelope because yeah. maybe we can pay for some gas money that way, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> but you know, then he's in the, in those first tours. You're still like meeting up with the label guy from 
secretly Canadian in Bloomington, Indiana, and they're taking you out and, you know, talking about the next record. And you realize, oh, wait, the next, we're going to make another record. And for the next record, Jason decided he was not going to be our record label anymore. He was going to manage us and try to get us a good record deal. Mm -hmm. So about halfway through that year of touring, it became clear that we were going to be, you know, having some a, a couple different record labels vying to sign us. So it went from this thing that was that felt very small and like a one man show to oh now we're, maybe we're going to be on Domino, maybe we're going to be on Secret Canadian, maybe we're going to be on are we going to go on a major label? They weren't really interested. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so, at what point do you think things kind of kind of turned after that first album? I yeah, I think it, it's got to be from the first album, and then everything feels very organic, You're right? Just, you're like, okay, we put this out. And now people are, we're getting good reviews. We're getting some bad reviews. We're getting, we're able to tour. And then, and then you're really just touring. Right. You know, and then you're, I mean, in that first year, we went to Australia, you know. In the first year. Yeah. In the first, in 2008, we did tours of the, probably two, two or three tours of the U.S. You in know? one year. Yeah. Wow. Two or th- three tours of the U.S. Um, we did, Tours of the of um, Europe, club tours in Europe, and that is like you know you're in a van. I, I don't know how to drive stick, so I, I got out of driving. <laughs> you maybe like the first time you're someone in the band is driving, and then the next time you have like a tour manager, right? Who's I can remember all their names, you know, Hagen and Ian and <laughs> right, <laughs> um, and they're these weird guys that just this is their life, and they're just driving around bands, and maybe. You know, you have the tour manager who's also a sound guy. You know, that's, that's who I got right now for one of my clients. Yeah, yeah. Um, or you don't have a sound guy at all, and then you're like, "We need to get a sound guy." <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I th- and and then of course in the summertime of 2008, we were doing all the festivals, all the European festivals. Yeah. So that you hit like Leeds, Oxygen, you know, Glastonbury, all that stuff because you're a, you're this emerging band who these festivals can get for pretty pretty cheap you know but you're also an emerging band that people want to see yeah yeah so you're maybe playing like a early slot on the big stage or something like that so out of curiosity um one of my clients he like he performs he gives us all on every show and we actually have to a lot for that space when he's on tour like how many days are between shows um how many days are between tours what are some of the things that you did you know, performing 200 times a year that just helps you get through it. Well, <laughs> actually in 2008, I also, I, had, I got to get vocal cord surgery. In oh, damn. Oh, damn. Yeah. Damn. So the band started in 2005 and our whole thing was like being the screamiest, loudest, most crazy guys, you know, without right. being like, you know, we weren't Iggy Pop or anything, but, yeah, you know, and, and you can hear it in that first album. It's a lot of shouty, stuff at the very top of my range and in about 2007 i just had this rasp i talked like this i was like i couldn't and i was so frustrating i would try not speaking you know um and eventually i went to a ear nose and throat doctor Mm -hmm. and they stick this like metal a rod down your in your mouth with a video camera on it and you're like, gagging <laughs> and they told me like look you have a what's called a vocal polyp and there are these things called nodules which are like little bumps it's kind of like a little 
um, like a hot spot or something on when you go hiking or something like that. And a, a polyp is like this blister on your vocal cord. And the doctor told me like, it, you could go on a vow, you could take a vow of silence for five years. You could become a total monk and it wouldn't go away. It's just, Damn. it's this injury. So we've got to cut it out. Damn. And luckily I had like pretty good freelancers insurance back then. Mm. And it didn't cost me that much money, but I, yes. I remember coming out of, and it, you know, you go completely under and it was, I think like I had in May of 2008 and for a whole week, I wasn't allowed to speak at all at all. And I would communicate with my now wife <laughs> with a pen and paper and she Hopefully would always, I didn't get any arguments during that week. We got <laughs> that's actually great. Cause then you don't have to worry about yelling. You're like, chill. <laughs> Just write out chill. <laughs> we got in so many arguments. Cause she was like, I just feel like you don't even like me. Yeah, like, like, you're not smiling at me. Say I'm something like, to me. I'm just, I can't. <laughs> just writing. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> yeah, my advice to anyone who has surgery like that is to go home. If you have, you know, if you've got like parents, yeah, yeah, yeah. like just probably spend the week with them because they're just not going to judge you. <laughs> right, right, right. I was trying to like stay in New York. I was going to shows, you know. And you just couldn't People talk. People are like, yeah, what's up? <laughs> you're, like, you're, you're a burgeoning right band. <laughs> you're a burgeoning band. You're going to shows. You're uh, showing your face, but you can't talk. Yeah. Man. So then. That sounds like It's like the prank. scene in The Joker where it's like uncontrollable yeah, yeah. laughter. <laughs> I've never it. seen a Joker, oh, but. Damn. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. Yeah. He's handing the card yeah, on, yeah. on the bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so then, so there was a couple, so it was a week of not being able to talk. And then after that week, I remember talking to, to my now wife and she and her being like, whoa, your voice is totally <laughs> different. I'm like, well, you don't like my voice? <laughs> this is the real me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then, and then we went on tour <laughs> And I couldn't sing for about two months afterwards. So the, yeah, it yeah, was like sure. vocal vocal rest completely for a week. And then I had to do a lot of like, you know, physical therapy or whatever. Mm -hmm. So after that, were you were you performing that much still or did you go back? Oh, to yeah, yeah. No, then it was we were we were performing. I remember uh, Chris had to sing. I had like my hit song, you know, from the first album mm -hmm. that I would sing. And he he sang it because you had to you have to sing all the songs. Right. When you only have that first album, you got to sing all the <laughs> yeah, songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you do. It. Yeah, because that's the whole set. Yeah. So. Can you yeah. talk about? Uh, I mean, now you did that. Yeah, that rehab period. But I'm sure there were there kind of different exercises you did for the sake of vocal longevity coming out of it that you yeah. can impart to like listeners that to prevent any injuries like that. Yeah, it's like I mean, it's so nerdy. And people would make fun of me for it. But religiously from then on, I would just do like, I do like a half an hour of vocal warmups. Mm -hmm. And I think most, most singers do that. You know, there's mm -hmm. like some God singers that don't, that are like, nah, I don't need to do it, you know. <laughs> but for me, it, it's really about stamina. Yeah. Like if I'm just recording in my house, maybe I want to get a little morning voice grit, you know. Or I, I really like the crack in my voice when it's yeah, weak. Yeah. But for playing live, when you have to maintain that volume and that consistency over the course of a hour and a half long set, I just don't have the the resilience in my own personal <laughs> vocal cord constitution, yeah. you know, to 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 go hard and not warm up. And I found if I just warmed up, I was fine. 
I could smoke. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. I, you know, not if you're sick or something like that, but usually it was, it was if I just warmed up, I would be fine, you know. Um, and I probably don't push it as hard as I did at the beginning because mm-hmm. there's that little bit of fear, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you had to get surgery. So. I had to get surgery. Yeah. So, um, but I can't, and it was, it was nice. I remember, I remember the exact show when I came back singing and it was like, there was a real sense of camaraderie, like, oh, welcome back to the, cause it was a three part harmony kind of, kind of deal. With yeah. The band, you know? Yeah. Um, so you obviously was in this band for a, a good amount of time. 15 years. 15 yeah. years. Yeah. And not a lot of bands can say that they've done any that they've been in the industry for for that long and be successful for that long. Yeah, well, so I don't know about the successful part. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's a few few different a few different things, right? Like the band's chemistry, yeah. um, the music industry surrounding you guys. How did how did the band evolve over those 15 years? How did um, just to know as the industry was changing, you know, for example, switching more towards streaming, labels not having as much power to then now having all this power. You guys have kind of been there throughout all of it and i'm sure it definitely affected your career um so i guess from from the band point and then the the business point how did you guys adapt i don't know that we did adapt i mean we quit <laughs> we like, i mean you i mean we went on we went on but it's yeah. like we had uh we had patronage you know from yeah. from record labels so mm-hmm. we were really lucky that we we got so we got so big off of our first album, which we put up pretty much completely independently, mm-hmm. that we had record labels vying to sign us, meaning they were competing against each other, yeah, raising the stakes. And to us, it felt like we deserved it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it allows you to have a career. You become a careerist musician because yeah. Not only are you making money from touring, which is like this, you work, you get paid, yeah, you know, but you're also, someone is saying, hey, we trust you. We're going to give you some money just to make stuff. Yeah. Right. And sure, they get a cut of it, right? They get, it's, they're just, they're gambling on you. Um, and they, and, and I think the labels were like, well, if these guys sold a hundred thousand copies of all our symbols, our first record just doing it themselves, then if we throw all this money at it, we're going to sell millions of records. Yeah. You know? And I don't think it worked out that way. And even though the second album for us, for me, felt like a real step up sonically, and we were able to spend a lot of time in the studio with a mixing engineer and a, um, spent like four months upstate recording, taking our time. And it really did propel us to that next level of like the venues keep getting bigger you know, mm-hmm. when we're on tour and that's like this obvious thing. Um, I don't think it was as much of a success record label wise as they had hoped, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, then the, the way it works is you have this like minimum and a maximum for your advance. And if you sell a certain amount, you have this maximum. So that's like to prevent them from paying you. It's like based on a percentage of how much you sell. Right. 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 So for the next record, we got our minimum, you know, which was fine, still, still a great deal. Um, but then that record did a lot worse than the second one. And then for the next record, we just got dropped. Or they would say that they didn't drop us, but they offered us so little money. Oh, you, you couldn't know, take it. That we were just like, yeah, because it's like, it's like a, when you think of it in terms of a career, 
it's like you're working and working and you're just getting older and older and you've got more responsibilities. <laughs> and so you're at some job and they're like, sorry, we need to demote you. We need to give you less money. <laughs> and you're like, but no, but I've got all these expenses now, you know. Yeah. And I've gotten used to this way of working. So, but we still made a, a record. We made our fourth record with the record, with a different record label. Um, and they, they paid us money to, to make it. And grant, that's not like money in your pocket. That's like money that they're saying 90% of that needs to be spent in a studio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. on a producer or whatever. Um, and then for the last one, the money was even so much less that we were like, let's just do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think for the for the band, it's like, you know, you're doing it's a very it's like a marriage mm-hmm. without that release that that release of like having sex, you know. Yeah, the intimacy. <laughs> Without, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, is, there is the intimacy of like come, sure some creating stuff together. Band, yeah, but. I think that probably, <laughs> yeah, that probably yeah, works. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just this. It's just such a closeness, and um, everybody is in different places and in different, you know, geographically and yeah, what they want the band to be. So like, I think if I was really excited about the band the collaborate the creative collaboration like i was in 2005 or 2006 i would want to keep going but I, I i was feeling like i was this cheerleader you know for something that i didn't necessarily believe in so much anymore you know we could all get we could all like go get jobs and then be like let's get back together again but i don't think any of us really want to do that anymore <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. right right um so so it was it was it was nice that it was a mutual no one was like I think with the with the last album there was there, were, there was discussion of maybe stopping and it was like no we got to go out we got to tour this you know this is our best bet and then with this one it was like all right I think our time is done <laughs> Yeah I mean you guys haven't really put out an album though that got like bad reviews though But we got a lot of bad reviews I mean not on, not according to metacritic Oh really Yeah you guys are between 63 and and 78 your whole career that's like that's like good. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, um, I think you know on this last tour, I was uh, people would come up to me who who weren't even at the show or something, you know, and they'd be like, "Oh man, I really, I really loved your band back in 2010." And I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we put out three albums since then." But I, I get it, man. I get it. Right. I felt like we had been archived already, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Um, so as you guys are going from album to album, how do you guys come up with new sounds, new ways to create that sort of thing? The new, you know, for me, I just like, I just attack each song individually Mm -hmm. and I'll just be like, okay, I need to work on a song today, you know, and maybe I'll make some sounds and then I'll come up with like a, a topic to talk about. Right. Um, and then, and then it was really like coming together as a band and figuring out the new, the direction that we were going to go in. And it could be, you know, 180 degrees from the demo, but it's still maintaining that, you know, that melody or that chord progression. Sometimes you get rid of the chord progression, just keep the melody. Right. Um, so really the sound of the different records is a, is a, is a group, is a group effort. The songwriting is, would be more of an individual effort. Sometimes Sometimes with a little collaboration, um, but it's it really just is like you know first album was very like 
a lot of world music influences. Okay, let's get rid of that. Let's go more like teched out kind of synth synthy direction, you know. And then the third one's like, let's go more like R&B electronic or something. Then the fourth one, oh, let's let's do a little more like a Is it just like a conversation or are you in the studio like, oh shit, that sounds kind of good. Let's keep doing that. Yeah, let's get it's kind of <laughs> like that. Yeah, you just you know, you have this you you get sick of something and then you want to move on to something right. else. Right. Yeah. Right. So who else did you guys um collaborate with? Oh. Or was it mostly just in-house you guys? It was in it was pretty with, much with in-house. Other? Yeah, we were we always just produced ourselves. Right. Um with the with the fourth album, we got this guy Joey Warrenker. Mm-hmm. Do you know who he is? He he um he played drums with Beck throughout the nineties. Okay, well, that's cool. And then I think he, <laughs> he did a stint with REM for like five years. Okay. Now he's playing with Roger Waters. Okay, interesting. So he was on a list of like potential producers, and that was all like the record label trying to you know we you guys need to get a producer. Very like old fashioned kind of way of thinking. Right. You right. Know, in, instead of you know, because our biggest record, we produced ourselves, but they're not like, you guys just need to write better shit like that. They're like, well, you need to get an outside person to rein you in. But we weren't really ever a band that was like rocking out in the rehearsal space and we needed to get produced by a producer. Mm-hmm. We were all, we were these producers who were producing ourselves and then would have to figure out how to play these productions live on the road. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. When it comes to some of the, like the, you even mentioned being in New York and early on hustling and creating opportunities to play at different venues. I feel like, uh, I mean, can you talk a little bit about some of the, I mean, even just the kind of how that first album really started taking off. Some of the different behind the scenes hustle or business tactics you really deployed in order to build this initial traction. I think that could be super helpful. (sighs) Business tactics. I mean, I would say you just have to be playing all the time, Mm -hmm. you know? And and I, we never did like a a lot of people do like those residencies, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember there were other bands from people from college that were doing these residencies at uh, in the Lower East Side, and we never really did that. The closest thing we had was like a this guy from this uh, venue called the Cake Shop would always just be calling us, and be like, "You guys want to play on Lower this? East Side? Lower East Side, yeah. yeah. Do you remember that place? Yeah, yeah. It's um kind regards now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I used to live across the street. So we even like thanked him on our album, Cake Shop Andy. Thank you. you know? <laughs> um, but you know, I don't know. It was. It's really like this. I, I think the most important thing with the band is this kind of like um, work ethic of just like just keep going, and mm-hmm. you just have to like not get too mad at each other when there's like a blow up. You have to just. Put your nose down and just keep plowing away. And you have to really believe in yourself and be very confident. Um, I don't I don't know that I can really speak to all the like the individual like tactics and everything. Because it was it was so different that, you know, it was like really I, I remember our manager really didn't want us to do any um press photos at first. It was like keep the mystery, you know. <laughs> but I feel like now you have to be you really have to be like on Instagram every day unless you're like a huge, unless you're already a huge star and you go to these huge stars, Instagram, and you're like only three posts and they've got 7 million followers. It's like, yeah, it's I mean, crazy. But like, I, I really, the, the idea of going solo for me right now, I'm just like working on creating stuff mm-hmm. and taking it to the finish line. Um, 
and I because I don't want to think about what it's going to mean to go solo. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to have to be on Instagram every day. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to hire you. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's more like specific. I mean, we had the publicist, you know, and we also had the zeitgeist. Like we had, you, there's, you can't really um, deny that there was, there was something going on in Brooklyn that was like, people were paying attention to worldwide. Right. You know? Right. And I don't know where that is right now. Right. So um, starting out, all these people are kind of coming into the picture, manager, booking agent, publicist, label representative. What do you think were some of the things that stood out in order for, or that you think are important for those people to be effective uh, helping your band? They have to really believe in your music. I really think like, I remember when we were in France and it was our big, our second album, our big album. And the, <laughs> the publicist said like, uh, it is a little inegal, meaning uneven. Like the album was <laughs> uneven. And we were like, oh shit, this is not going to be good if she doesn't <laughs> even think the album is good. <laughs> like you really have to have, I, I don't know if, you, and, and obviously people are blowing smoke up your ass all the time, but yeah. Um, but you don't want someone who's like talking shit on your band behind behind your back <laughs> or something. You really want people who believe in it. And of course, like it's this, you know, we we really wanted to be in this on this one agency, this one booking agency and they didn't they didn't want to have us until we started getting some love and then they wanted to have us, you know. Oh, that's interesting. So, it's interesting. Um when it comes yeah. to kind of the collaborative what what do you feel like were certain elements that helped you and your band members collaborate well? Or certain things that you feel like at, at times when things were tough that weren't present and when, when things felt like you guys were in this kind of good rhythm and flow together were present. So things that other people can really embody within their bands. Well, I think it's good in a band to to have that kind of gang mentality where it's you versus the world. Right. You know? And that can really bond you together, you mm-hmm. know? And I, I still have that, because it's funny because I'm now in this like post-band phase. Um, and I still have that thing where I want to like text my bandmates, be like, can you believe this shitty song out there? You know, it's like, <laughs> and that is a lot of it when you're, when you're deciding to like create something, it's, if you think that there's, that everything out there is amazing, then you don't need to create anything, Right. Yeah. You just then listen to the music. But if you feel like there's something missing that you can add to. Right. And that requires like crazy narcissism and ego, yeah. egomania mm-hmm. um, that I think is necessary. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> no, sure. I, I, I agree. Right. I like, agree. I mean, everyone can try to be all, all humble and everything. But really, if you think that it's that it's all been done and that it's was better 40 years ago or something then there's no reason to create anything right mm-hmm. right right yeah i mean when i was um one of the reasons why i got into the music industry and especially management is i used to be a musician while i was at park yeah. and um i didn't like how how focused i had to be on myself <laughs> i just right. wanted to like help help a lot of other artists do their thing and i was like every day i have to wake up and like think about myself yeah and like i'm not with that as much as i like yeah. making music there's, you know, there's not too many musicians that like manage artists. So, so I was like, now I'm going to have to choose, you know, one or the other. And I ended up just choosing to be mm-hmm. a manager. It's sort of why I hate like 
really like when celebrities do their like political speech, you know, I'm always like, come on, you just care about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got to, man. You got to. So um, what do you think about the democratization of music now? There's like so much music out. Like, how do you find music? Um, usually word of mouth. Word of mouth. That's of funny. Mouth. You know, we had a we had an A&R on here that was like, we asked him like, you know, what, you know, what's your sauce? He was like, yeah, my friends just tell me. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, yep. I just, I just can't. Even, you know, the artists I told you that I work with was word of mouth for me as well. Right. So, yeah. I think that's what it, it's, what it's got to be for most, like, I find myself, if I like something, I'll just, I just want to tell everybody about it, you know? Right. And I, I feel like that's how, I don't know. I don't know that, you know, we would get all these updates from our we had new managers off this album and we get these updates from you've been added to a spotify playlist and you're like how am i supposed to i don't know how i'm supposed to feel about this like do we make it we made it i just think it's like this we're in this world of real passive listening yeah yeah and i'm an active listener like if i'm if i'm uh sitting at a restaurant with my wife i'm 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 very distracted by the music that's playing. Yeah. And I'm shazamming it, you know, that you use Shazam ever. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, a lot. I'm, I'm, it's like this, it's this, is this this person, you know? Is this? I bet it is. I bet it is. I can recognize the voice. And then you test it. Yes, I was right. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, and I discover a lot of music that way too, because if something's really good or really, but I, you know, the whole playlist thing, I don't know. I I don't relate to the person who wants to listen to New music every every day or every Friday, whatever. New music Friday. Yeah. New music Friday. <laughs> I wonder are those people? I, I don't know. I can't get into this inside that mind, but because um, I just like discover something from 1991, I'm like, oh, I want to listen to that. <laughs> Whoa, what is that? I can't believe that it came out 91. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then I'm always pleasantly surprised by when I when I find out about new shit, and then then you are the most excited because you feel. Like you're part of the universe again, you know, when you can go to a show and you're like, I think that shows should have a built in after party for everybody that's there. So you can be like, how did you find out about this band? You love, this has been like, this is, this has moved you too. like, that's actually not a bad idea, actually, for real. I mean, there's after parties anyway, you know, right? They're after parties, but they're always like this very elite kind of um, glamorous thing. Right. It really should just be. Because you go to the show and whatever, it's yeah. fine. You're standing there with your thumb up your ass. And, <laughs> and, but then afterwards, you can, you can really meet. So you're, you're, it's sure. not really a, a way of meeting people. But it, you're suddenly in this space where you're confronted with the public aspect of this thing that you've been listening to totally. so privately, right? It's, right? Everybody's on the subway just listening on their mm-hmm. headphones. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I do definitely think uh, if there's an obscure artist or like not so mainstream artist that I really like and I, I meet another person that also likes them it's definitely a different like it takes the potential friendship or respect to sure. a new level yeah I mean at the end of um, my client shows for the last one the TM had the idea of playing like songs like Whitney Houston's um, oh wanna dance with somebody that and Dancing Queen and those two songs and songs like that alone got everybody to stay in the venue and like dance with each other. And right, they right, came right. out with it was it was sort of like what you're saying, except kind of like a microcosm of it where we got people to kind of sit there and talk afterwards for a yeah. while. So um, but but to build that out, I think is I think would be would be awesome. No, I mean, I loved like I, I was never someone who would just like after the show wants to just hide or something like that. You know, <laughs> I'm like, I want to greet my fans. You know? <laughs> 
And I mean, it's usually the psychopaths who want to stay <laughs> and talk to you. you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Everyone who's like, I'm going to just, I'm gonna just let them have their space. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. But well, uh, yeah. Go ahead. When it comes to uh, like the live performance element, what did you, what were you conscious of or focused on in order to create and bring the best performance? Well, it would take a lot of rehearsals, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then, I mean, I'm very focused on like trying to sing in tune. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if the rest of my band was as focused. But um, yeah, and just like, I mean, it's playing live for me is like, it's, it does, it's, it's very difficult. It's like you got to mm-hmm. play guitar and sing at the same time. And like, I can't play very, I'm still like, I can't really divide my brain very well to play. I'm, when the other guy's singing, I can play much more complex mm. guitar parts right. than when I'm singing. And when I'm singing, I'm just fully in that moment of trying to remember the words. <laughs> <laughs> Don't fuck it up. <laughs> and sing it as well as possible because I just right. want that experience to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, with the guitar, I'm not really able to do much. There was, a, there was like a, there was one song on the second album where I just had a mic. And I was like, oh, I can not. And it really is a different thing when you just mm-hmm. have a mic because you have to figure out how you're moving. Right. You know, and how you're presenting yourself to the, with just the mic. Mm-hmm. But that was one song, you know. And the rest of the time I was just behind the, behind the guitar. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not Prince. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I do have his hair right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean... I have nightmares about going on stage unprepared. I think it's just all about preparedness, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And then once you're prepared, then you're just, you're doing the same thing. You're trying to like bring the same caliber show um, that you would do in New York to Tulsa, you know? Totally. What was, um, what was one of your favorite experiences performing live a show that you just like will remember forever? I mean, I'll remember like the, playing on like Conan O'Brien and stuff like that. Right, right. You know, those weird, the shows all kind of blend together for me. Mm-hmm. I can't even remember. My, my my cousin out in California, I talked to him on the phone a lot. And he's like, come on, man, you guys did some great shows out here. I'm like, I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. I was like, I remember hanging out with you afterwards and like yeah, yeah. talking about politics or something. <laughs> but the show itself, like, you just, you're just kind of going, you know, and maybe that's bad. Maybe I'm just going through the motions or something. Um, but because we're a band, it like gives me the confidence. I can do my thing. I play my part, you know? Um, and it all kind of just, but it all kind of just blurs together. You know? Right. I, there, and I, I remember like things going awfully wrong, like, um, you know, a guitar breaking mm-hmm. or, a, um, a keyboard breaking and having to figure out how to play the keyboard part on the guitar <laughs> in, on, at the show at Terminal 5. For some reason, we had like really bad luck in New York. <laughs> just horrible luck. It was just, a, I don't know what it was, a curse. Where like my guitar, <laughs> at, the, in, at the Terminal 5 show, the keyboard broke. And I had to figure out the, the song on the guitar. And then we played an Irving Plaza show and my guitar just, would, just was broken. Like it wouldn't put out sound. Yeah. For the whole for the whole thing? For the whole show. And then we <laughs> Yeah, it was like <laughs> just like some connection was just off, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think we maybe even switched the guitar, but it was a pedal or something like that. Yeah. And it's just humiliating. And you you know, you feel like shit because you're like, I swear, 
we just played in Philadelphia last night and it was amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But actually those those shows, you know, the audience really feels like they're getting something unique. For sure. And they're they're with you and they're rallying behind you. So they always end up being kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And instead of the, you know, Chris would kind of say the same thing at every show, you know, like a few lines that were the same. But then it really forces you to have to improv. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally, totally. And it's that's more memorable. You know? Yeah. I was at a show once where this guy was, uh, he was rapping in the middle of the song. He just stopped. He just stopped cold. It was like, yeah. oh shit, I forgot. He said out loud, oh shit, I forgot my lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> and then he turned around and said, yo, restart the song. <laughs> <laughs> then he just restarted it. But, every, but that also made everybody like, I don't know, somehow like more present. Yeah, yeah, for because sure. Because they weren't, they weren't just seeing him go through the motions. It was like, oh shit. They're realizing it's, it's a real person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, oh damn, that's crazy. He's a human who just forgot his lyrics. Yeah. Now we get to see him do it again. You know, we mm-hmm. get a song and a half. They probably, you know what I mean? I wasn't, I wasn't mad at all. I was like, no. oh shit, whatever, do it again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with it, you know? And you're like, that's right. He's got to memorize all these lyrics. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, and you're like around. I know a few of these lyrics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, jump yeah. around and stuff. Exactly. Right. All I have to do is wave my hands in the air. Right. right. It's easy to be in the audience. I don't know. It depends on the audience, you know. Those mosh pits can get intense. That's true. Yeah, I don't want to. I got punched in the face once during a mosh pit. Really? What show? It was at a JPEG Mafia show. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, yeah. Punched in the face. <laughs> but it was great, you know. It was I'm talking cool. about crowd surfing in my like foot. Brushed upon some dude's head. This was this was a it was Playboy Cardi performing. Brushed or, or did br- you kick this dude in the head by accident? Because <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you be crowd surfing story. and it brushes over somebody's head. <laughs> You're right. That was probably a political way. <laughs> but I was just saying, for some reason, he got really aggravated. And wanted to start fighting. I was like, bro, I'm just trying to crowd surf. So I don't know. I'm just not trying awesome. to crowd surf. <laughs> uh, so what? Having learned what you learned throughout your journey, what would you tell yourself in the early days of you starting your music career? Oh, nothing. I wouldn't want to disturb that young guy. You know, that's pretty good. I was on my own trip, you know, and I got no regrets, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I, w- I wouldn't, yeah. You wouldn't be like, yo, make sure the guitar works at Terminal 5. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're going to have a show. It's going to be in two years. <laughs> no, I, I almost want the opposite. I want like that young guy to tell me. Interesting. To give me like a lesson now. Wow. You know, to like listen to my songs and be like, what is this that you're making, man? Come on. It doesn't have any urgency or something. That's right. That's right. actually a profound answer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that question gets asked a lot, not even just in our podcast, but I definitely embody that notion of like living without regrets too and even being able to learn from a younger version of yourself too. I think it's so easy as we get older to let bitter. Yeah, and let various ambitions or I mean, I think you it's oftentimes this process of being like conditioned by society. So the, if you kind of go back in time prior to all these layers of conditioning, yeah. there's some truth there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that young guy didn't care about money mm-hmm. <laughs> or anything like that. He was just I, that young guy just like didn't want to keep going doing the academic thing. <laughs> yeah. It was like, I did not have a good time in college. I had a great time at, at park. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that great of a time in college. And then uh, I was like, all right, better go for it. 
you know, better like put my all into this. And that was a that was a big thing with the band was like this real sense of like soldiering on and everybody's got to make the sacrifices. You mm-hmm. know, I remember they were really, really mad at me when I I left. There was like a European press tour and I left a week. It was a two week long press tour. That's and I, long as shit. And I left a week early to go to my my wife's family's like Thanksgiving event in Florida. And it was like this total betrayal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and it's and, but as you, you get you keep going, you're like, wait, I need some, I need a little bit of independence, you know. But yeah. but a band really does require this, like you're sacrificing. It's all for one, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I work with uh, all artists that are solo acts. Solo, so, yeah. so when they want to go home for Thanksgiving, we're like, oh shit, okay, yeah. That's it. That's it. Whatever you want. Yeah, gotta pull a plug on this one. Yeah, and you're all with a band. You're constantly. You have a manager who's like playing you off of each other. He's got like the band member that he's going to talk to about the artwork. He's got the band member he's going to talk to about the music production side. He's got the band member wants to talk about you know touring or whatever. Um, and you have to kind of figure out the way to make it work. But right. So what's next, man? Well, I'm working on new stuff, new songs. So I'm I'm trying to just make you know every other song that I've made, it's it's been this like what what are the other guys gonna think? Mm. And you're used, to, you're used to that, right? I'm used to that, yeah. and and it can be, um, it can be wonderful, you know. It can be like oh they love it, and they're gonna add to it and make it better, or it can be this soul crushing criticism <laughs> that you remember forever. <laughs> You know, and I'm working on a few of those songs that got rejected. You know, when you have a whole catalog of a backlog of right, material, right. you can look look at some of it and say, "Oh, that actually, I don't even wreck it. I don't know the guy who made it. Right? It was me ten years ago, but I'm totally divorced from the creation of it. I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. I see, it's clever. Like, that's pretty good. I'm gonna work on that, and I can update it to whatever I'm into now. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. And I, I want. I'm just making stuff for myself, and and hope that down the line, maybe something that I like, so other people will like. I definitely want to put it out into the world, but right now I'm just creating a um, a repertoire. You know, like a ten, fifteen songs or something like that. I've already cut one. <laughs> right. You do. So are you doing all the instruments? Pretty much all the instruments. Yeah, I got a. I got a friend to. Actually, our drummer from this last tour, he came over and he drummed on one song. Um, and I, I want to just kind of do everything myself. And I've yeah. I've got like the equipment and I've got, I just got this remote Logic. Do you use Logic at all? I don't know if I you used do. To. Yeah, so I, I used got, to make us use it at Park, actually. <laughs> yeah, so I use, I use Logic, which is, I'm not like, you know, a pusher of Logic or anything. But yeah, yeah. I have this remote now. And everybody's like, I don't know how you did this without the remote. Because <laughs> now I can just sit at the drums. I can go upstairs. I have a piano in my house. So I can record. And you just it's on the remote. And I'm fully self, self-functioning, self you know. Wow. Um, and it's not like I'm, I can't play the bass as good as Ira. Right. He's a much better bassist than me. And, you know, I probably don't have the same, like, drum programming ideas that Chris would have on some of these songs or something. But, um, you know, I can play guitar. I can play bass. 
I could play some keyboards. And then the compute, the technology is the tool, you know, it's the, yeah. if you don't like something, I'll sit there and just like move MIDI notes around, Yeah, you know, and I can compose something using a computer that you could print it out and it would look like a symphony, but I, I'm not, I'm not Beethoven. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't do that just writing it out, you know, but I, once you play it, right. sure, you've got six stabs of music. That, yeah. yeah. And then you could learn it later on. You know. um, so I, the, my, my issue has never been like making stuff myself. Like I can make, I can make songs myself. I, I just, I like to collaborate. Yeah. And I've always, and when it's good, it's awesome. Right. You know, when it's good, it's, oh, I would have never come up with that on my own. And you're taking this idea that I had and making it more dimensional. Um, so that's the struggle for me is taking, taking an idea to the finish line. But it's really just about hard work, you know. Yeah. yeah. Seeing something through. I mean, that's one thing that I always, I've always tell the art, the artists that I work with early on in their careers is a lot of them don't want to collaborate because they're, I mean, it makes sense, right? This thing is like very personal to you yeah. and it, it's a lot, it takes a lot out of you. But I'm like, dude, just try getting in the studio with other people mm-hmm. for that same experience that you're saying, yeah. you know, try figuring out what your sound would be like if you got this person's drums right. or this person's guitar or this person's synth, you know what I mean? So but I, I feel like those things come with a solo artist. Um, you you become aware of your deficiencies, you yeah. know. Yeah. And you know, so if JPEG Mafia or whatever can't play the keyboards, he'll he'll find someone who's going to play keyboards better or something, you know. Or if I really want to get a good horn sound, I can call my friend. Right. He's going to play. But the idea of like the the outside person forcing the collaboration. Although it's as old as the music industry <laughs> itself, you know, um, I don't know if if someone's self sufficient. I don't think anyone can tell you what to to collaborate with someone else. You know, what if somebody tells you, "I have bad horns," but then they don't want to find somebody who can do better horns? What if they have that self awareness? What do they like their bad horns? No, they don't like the sound of the no. Oh, they don't have the self awareness to know that the horns are bad. They know the horns are bad. They know the horns are bad, okay. But they are, it seemed, in my opinion, fearful to reach out to somebody to get help with the horns. Because of what? Because they're t- shy about the material? I mean, yeah, I think so. I just think they're used to, they were used to just making everything themselves. You know what I mean? So they kept, t- kept coming to me as part of the management team like, hey, man, I really need help in this area. And I, you know, I naturally was like, yo, like collaborate with some people, collaborate with somebody who you like that can do that really well. Nah, man, nah. Well, maybe you need to come up with that name of who to collaborate with. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, I Are we I talking about the same to. guys? <laughs> I tried to, I tried to, but you know. Look, this is a struggle, uh, you know, and I have, I have nothing but sympathy for managers because yeah. you guys are the champions of the band, but you're also the punching bag. So that's the cool part too. Yeah, you like that. Yeah, <laughs> you whatever. like that part. Whatever. You feel loved. Highs, highs and you're lows, like, you know. Like, like, <laughs> he hits me, but I know he loves me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's another thing is I'm like, do I need a manager? Probably. Like that is a that is a funny thing in the music. You know, my wife, she's a she's a midwife. She's a basically a doctor, mm-hmm. and she has another business that's like a shampoo company mm-hmm. 
And she doesn't have a manager. She just does it all herself, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. But somehow with the with the music industry, with the like constant promotion, it's a it's strange to be self-managed, right? You need that outside person to be like, check this out. This is the best. Listen yeah. to this, you know, because yeah, I don't yeah. want to do that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Some people can, right? The self-promoters yeah. are very successful. Yeah. I think I think the managers now, in my opinion, a lot of them are just uh people that can take away the pressure of the business aspect of sure. it. So the creative can focus on being creative. That's what a lot of it is. Um, there are managers who do help with the overall vision. Uh, those are obviously good managers. And they're just managers that also just go to the artists like, hey, what do you need help with? Let me facilitate it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it just kind of depends on whatever brings value to the artist. Right. But then eventually you got to get the business manager, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The manager doesn't really know how to do the business <laughs> to make it legit. And then you got to have the lawyer and then you got to have the booking agent. Yeah. And eventually the artist is like, shit, I don't have any money. Left. <laughs> right. Right. Dope, dope. Well, thanks for coming out, man. Yeah, is that, is that, that's that. Did you learn anything? Appreciate you taking the <laughs> yeah. time. No, it's, I mean, an incredible journey, man. And yeah, what's the title good. of this going to be? It's like, uh, you could spitball one right now. We use it. <laughs> what does it mean to be washed up? <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, nothing like that. <laughs> nothing like that. Well, super oh. grateful for having you on, man. I think yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, Really excited to see everything you start to to progress into with uh, all the solo stuff too, man. Thanks. It's very exciting. We'll Is see. this going to be your name? I think so. You know, it's, I have a lot of friends who are like, no, you need to have a name for the project. And I think it's just, I think I did that for many years. Mm. And now, you know, we had um, we had this woman, Suzzy Roach. She sang on our last album. She was in this band called The Roaches. And they are this very cool, like under the radar um, I guess they would probably be in the college rock, like, you know, like that independent, but they were on a major label, but still um, weird, really weird stuff. And I read and her, it was three sisters, right? And one of the sisters died um, about two years ago, I think. And in an article that I read, Suzzy Roach, who sang on our record, said like she always had wanted to do a solo record, but never did one. She did a duet record. She did a, she did the group records and then she compiled all of her songs that she had written into like a posthumous solo record. So I read that and I was like, you know, even if I just do one, I got to do one solo. Right. Record, you know? Right. And especially after the band breaking up, it's just, it's the, that's the time, you know, it's right. either retire, give up completely and get some job doing something. I mean, the idea of like getting a job is <laughs> just, Horrible to me. <laughs> um, right. And I have the luxury to not have to get a job just yet, you know, but, mm -hmm. and I'm working on this. So, um, but so yeah, that's just, that's just gotta be the next step. You know? Right. Right. See. And it's maybe, it's like, maybe it's, maybe I'm dreaming, but that's what that's, that, that's what that 22 year old me is telling me to do. There it is. Go make a solo rap. Pucker the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. You took so much shit for so long. Like, yeah, yeah. No, man. Well, thank you so much for yeah, coming Yeah, thanks on, for man. having me, guys. This is fun. Awesome. Boom. 
Man, that was dope, dude. Yeah, I that really enjoyed that. For sure. I feel like it came full circle for me. You know what I mean? Just knowing knowing them from such a young age at my school to to interviewing on the on the podcast. I'm super glad it came on. A um, couple things that are that I thought were interesting from the episode is um, just the creative process between between band members. You know how they thought from album to album um, what they wanted their sound to be, and they just kind of went for it. Um, the mindset they had going into it, like you know, let's let's do this show, get this twenty bucks, and keep moving, and hopefully we can pay gas. Um, I think a lot of people, and this is something that I'm experiencing now, just you know, being in the music industry, I haven't even been in it for that long, is. Um, and he, you know, he realized it himself is when we, when we join this industry, we all have such pure intentions, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, it doesn't matter about the money. I just want to do something to get in and, you know, do my thing and get out. You know, that's what right. we all think. So when we asked him that question, what advice would you give to your, to yourself in the beginning of career? He said, I would have him give me advice. Um, mm-hmm. and I could totally relate to that even five years in, you know, so um, just hearing the perspective of him from the beginning to to now, I was just you know really glad to really glad to be the first press since the band broke up. According yeah. to him, you know, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, also, man, totally second everything you just said. Really enjoyed hearing his perspective, and also just want to thank you guys for listening, tuning in every single week. Really appreciate this. Couldn't do it without y'all. We're recording this on February twenty fourth, twenty twenty. In three days, the Music Business Podcast will have turned one years old. So, you almost low-key shed a tear. But so many people um, have made me happy by the way that they've reacted to something that me and Sam just put together on a whim, reacted in such a positive way. Um, So many people have shared their dreams with me. I try to see everybody who I can when they come to New York. Let me know when you're here. I promise if I got time, you know, I'm giving it to you. Um... When people text me, I try to hit them back, you know, um, and it's really it's really I really feel like we're on the way to building a really strong community. So thank you, everybody. Thank you, bands in town. Thank you, Sam, for being a part of this and uh, on on to, to, to bigger and better things. Bang, bang. Let's do it. We love you. all Peace. <laughs>